Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, enjoy it, because it'll be the last one for a while. We're on a break. Summer holidays. Clink. So. Okay. So, uh, this is really, really fucked up one that I can't believe I've heard of, and there's no documentary for. It's so, so fucked up. It's a real family affair, this Ooh. one. So, it's quite an old one. But not old enough for them to be dead. An so. oldie but a goodie. Yeah. So this is Robert Moan, which is spelled M-O-N-E. And it is another Scottish tale. So I'm going to piss off the Scottish again. But we're just going to go for it. That's fine. <laughs> we're going to Scotland soon. We'll contribute to their economy. Everything will be cool. Robert Moan was born in 1948 in Dundee in Scotland. And um, he grew up with his parents and he had two sisters and he has since spoken out about having a really dysfunctional childhood and a really terrible home life. Now, his father was a drunk and he would get into violent rages, very much a... Scottish person? He wasn't ginger, so no. But quite quite abusive, um, but we're going to talk more about his father later. Uh, it also called Robert Monet, so again... Father, son, called the same thing, both assholes. So in 1964, Monet Jr. was expelled from school um, and he joined the Highlanders, which was a regiment of the British Army, and he got based in Germany. Uh Um, And then he he sort of enjoyed this. Oh, his mother had also um, left the family home. She wasn't standing for this shit from the father. Um, I was picturing the Highlanders as like some rural gang of kids, like excluded from school, just appear from the hills, like ah! yeah, that's what I thought when I read it. Just roaming sort of the Scottish moors, yeah, dressed rags and stuff like that TV show about a post-apocalyptic world where all the adults were dead and it was just teenagers alive. The fashions. Oh no, the tribe. Yeah, the tribe. Oh, I think we talked about the tribe before. Like the tribe. I definitely modelled my whole look on that. <laughs> Still rocking it. <laughs> um, so then he so he was based in germany and he sort of liked this but i don't think he got on very well with other members of the army and they they all thought he was pretty dodgy um and then in 1967 he was moved to yorkshire and he was based there and he was really really disappointed upset by this um, and he became quite depressed and he started to drink quite heavily um he became depressed in yorkshire what kind of that man is he I think they've got tea. He wanted to be back in Germany. Yeah. They've got lovely countryside. Tea. Tea. 
nice people. Yorkshire puddings. Yorkshire pudding. Everything. Royal Armouries. That's elite. <laughs> Sculpture Park. That's pretty cool. That is cool. So he decided to buy a gun oh. in Yorkshire. So he bought this shotgun um, and then he traveled back to Dundee. And there he basically went on a big bender. But as well as that, he went to doctors and he got uh, quite a lot of prescription um, painkillers and some antidepressants as well. So he was on a cocktail of God knows what. He attempted suicide, but failed. And then he went on another bender and he ended up in a pub that was opposite his old school, which was St. John's RC Secondary School. RC? What? Oh, RC. RC teachers unite. <laughs> That's, yeah, you might as well call that to my school. <laughs> um... I think it suggested that he sort of had a bit of an epiphany that he was, he was like, he looked over at the school and decided it was all the school's fault that he was in this state. How very conservative of him. Yeah. So um, he went back to his hotel, put on his um, Highlanders uniform and then... So it was a weird little gang. <laughs> and then picked up his shotgun and he went back to the school and basically walked in. And back in, you know, the 60s, you could just walk into schools. Yeah. Willingly. You could walk out of them as well. So he walked into the school and went in one classroom. There was no one there. Went in another one and it was where a group of girls were being taught needlework by their teacher, Nanette Hansen. Um, I mean, I think they should bring back needlework, but... We do, do still do like sewing and that. Yeah, but only with the younger ones. Only like if I fancy it. Don't do it a secondary anymore. Not at all. In text in the whole of textiles, they don't teach them to sew. They don't have textiles. What? There's some schools do, but most schools that I don't even have, do textiles. No. Why they we had to do textiles. What? They do cooking. But they always make like stupid stuff. I always see the kids collecting their um, feed at the end thing? of the day. Do schools just not do textiles now? No more cushion covers. No more. Oh, they. We don't need a, a varied curriculum anymore, Emma. We just need English, maths, and science, and fuck everyone else. At secondary. Yeah. Everything's going. Nobody needs it apparently. That is sad. Well, just get the go with the blanket stitch there. Get English, maths, and science as high as you can. Stick one language in there. Stick a humanities in there. That's all they need, apparently. It's a shame. I think it's a shame. So he got his gun and he walked into the school and um, this teacher, Nanette, was teaching the group of children um, and he forced the class at gunpoint to block the doorway with desks. So he said to them, move the desks over to the door so no one else can get in. And he told them that he was there for revenge. So absolutely horrific, terrifying. Nanette, was an angel so so brave she talked to him calmly the entire time she got him she tried to convince him to let the children go he instead assaulted one of them and raped another during this (gasps) this really long horrific hostage holding um and then he held the a gun the gun to one of the children's head and pulled the trigger now luckily um the gun jammed and None of the children were, in fact, killed, but obviously still horrifically abused. Then another staff member, another incredibly brave young woman, Marion Young, she entered the room of her own accord, trying to negotiate. Um, and he sort of seemed to have lost interest in the children by this point and was focusing on Annette. So she led the children out 
of the room and they, oh, just they like, escaped. Yeah, quick. So they escaped and he didn't seem to really care. Then he started to focus on Nanette. So she was 26 years old. She was six months pregnant um, and he told her to turn around and she was shot dead in the back of the head. I did have a little cry when I was researching this because it's, oh, it's so oh. horrific. Marion Young came back in the room and she's trying to save Nanette's life, pleading, saying, can I let, you know, let her go to hospital? And he basically checked out now. He was singing, laughing, sitting on the desk. Um, and police and ambulance staff arrived and they arrested him um, with no trouble because... It, I he didn't even he, try and run anything. Nothing, like, oh, yeah, yeah. So he was examined by psychiatrists and I guess because of this behaviour that he'd shown when he'd been tackled and his behaviour afterwards, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and they decided that he wasn't fit for trial. So he was sent to Carstairs Hospital in 1968, which I guess we talk about Broadmoor quite a lot. Yeah. It's sort of a smaller version. So they had 140 patients at Carstairs and it is for the, the criminally insane. So when I talk about nurses at the hospital um I'm, i guess they're more like prison guards but they call them nurses because this is more of a hospital than a prison right yeah so they call them nurses but they will punch them in the face if they have to yeah so 1970 thomas mcculloch um a young man shoots two chef in a hotel over an argument over a bread roll um so he shot one chef in the face and one in the shoulder now he's arrested and he's found unfit to plead um, at trial. So he's also sent to Carstairs and he and um, Moon start a relationship. Oh. So a long-term relationship. I mean, he's done the whole gamut here. now, hasn't he? So McCulloch is a lot younger, but he, apparently he's much more dominant in the relationship. So he starts to sort of take charge and the pair we do mean sexual don't we not just like we're friends yeah yeah sexual relationship like they're they're in a game i just didn't know if you meant they were like apart <laughs> as in crime right no no they're they're in a gay relationship they um to do that just bed hopping yeah in the hospital yeah i assume so i mean it you can do it in jail can't you i guess you can yeah so 1976 the two began to carry out a plan that they've been hatching for six months. <laughs> so I've just remembered what they do. <laughs> Fucking hell. Right. It's not nice. So they're part of a drama group at the hospital. Right. And although they're crap at acting, they're part of set design and props. Now, they only joined this because it allowed them access to collect items that they could use oh, yeah. as weapons. Screwdrivers, saws yeah so what they did is they created a load of weapons ready for their escape attempt so they had handmade axes handmade knives they made wire are they garrots 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 they made rope ladders they also stole um mustaches and beards from the costume department (gasps) No so they are kitted out they've created this sort of escape kit 101 and they even made sort of like a fake bit of set i think to keep them in because obviously they're in charge of the set and design so they can do what they like so then 30th of november of 1976 after the actors have been rehearsing and then i think they left the rehearsal area and the two um so mcculloch and moan um 
left the rehearsal area and they went into what they called a social club. I mean, this hospital sounds brilliant. It does. I mean, there's drama, social club. Why did they want to escape? Yeah. So in the I so- bet they let them do textiles as well. It's better than school. In this social club, there's a nurse and a patient and they're talking and the two run in and threw paint stripper in the patient's eyes, which I thought was weird considering one's a staff member and one's not. So these two people are called Neil Malellan and Ian Simpson. So Neil is the nurse and um, Ian is the patient. So they tie up both Neil and Ian and then they attack Ian with an axe and then they slash Neil with a knife. So pretty horrifically injured and they take the keys now they're able to make their way to the nursing office and there they disconnect the phone lines for the whole prison then McCulloch says to Moan oh I've forgotten something I've got to go back absolute bullshit he takes this opportunity to go back into the social club and he gets a bigger axe hits both um, Neil and Ian over the head with that kills them both and then takes Ian's ears and scalps him on the way out. Oh god. I mean I guess they didn't have any of those in the costume. Poor child. Then they go outside use the rope ladder to climb over the fence and um, get onto the road and McCulloch then lays down in the road so they've got this all planned they knew they were going to get to this point Um, I think Moan probably didn't know those two were dead yeah. I mean, he's not very nice to them, but I don't think he's... He was trying to escape, whereas McCulloch was like, oh, while I'm here, let me have some, like, gross fun. Yeah. So McCulloch lies down in the road so that a car approaches and then thinks there's been an accident. So the owner of the car, Robert McCullum, gets out. Um, and they probably would have killed him as well. But then a police car also pulls up and tries to help. And there's two officers in this police car. Get him. So they get out. And Megan and McCulloch attack the two policemen and one's hurt and the other is killed. Oh my god! And they steal the police car and they drive off. You'd think if the police there, they'd be able to take them down. Yeah. But now they... So one's injured and one's killed. So now I guess they can radio for more... I don't... I mean, I don't know if anyone's looking for them at this point because unless yeah, they can radio... Not. Yeah. So they're off. They've got out of the prison and they're in a police car. So, McCulloch is driving. He has not driven for years. He's been in prison for, for about nine years. <laughs> a little bit wobbly. He's shit. So, <laughs> this is like the plot of a movie. I know. It's, it would be a really good movie. So, um, so he drives too fast and he drives off the road. Moan goes through the windscreen and goes unconscious. And then McCulloch gets the policeman's hat, puts that on and goes and flags down a van and says, help me, help me. I've driven off the road and I've got a prisoner with me. So he's pretending to be the policeman and they're presenting... And then he's obviously got the prisoner. As the two In men... In his have, normal clothes, but just a hat. <laughs> yeah. And then as the... as the Fake moustache and everything. <laughs> like. um, so Moan wakes up and as the two approach, McCulloch um, stabs them both and then pushes them into the back of the van. And then Moan and McCulloch get in the front of the van and then they drive off again. He drives off the road again in the no van, way. crushes that... He obviously just can't drive. Yeah, he's shit. Never mind for nine years. He just like, <laughs> yeah. 
this all day. Although I do know someone, I think he passed his test 20 years and he's not, 20 years ago and he's not driven since. Oh so like. God, what was the point? I, I, yeah, he needs to have lessons if he's ever going to get in a car again. Yeah. It's not safe. Um, so they crash his van, tie up the two men and they they carry on on foot. Moan is throwing up everywhere at this point because he's got concussion. Yeah. So he's just sort of like wandering after McCulloch, but proper proper ill. Um. So at this point, they've killed the two men in in back in the hospital, and yep. also one of the officers has died. So they are. So one officer's still alive though. So he yeah. might be trying to do something right now. Yeah. So by now they're on their trail so the two carry on on foot but at this point then they're not in pursuit and they have to cross the river Clyde uh which is quite a big river and McCulloch makes it across but Moan um still has concussion and he starts struggling and he starts falling over and he's spoken out about how McCulloch turned round and sort of stood there going should I help him or not considering they've had a nine-year relationship in the prison together Probably quite intense. So, after a short deliberation, he reaches out his axe and tells um, Moan to grab onto it and pulls him out. But clearly, this guy is. He did better than Sam and Georgia on Love Island. (laughs) Yeah. Like, they decided to stay coupled up. Yeah. But clearly, this guy, um, I mean, you could never trust him if he's willing to sort of like just let him float away because he might get away easier. It's not a good relationship. So then they reach a farmhouse, they knock on the door and the owners sort of open the door a little bit to see what's going on. They storm in and they demand the keys to their car and then they leave in the car, which is really lucky because there were actually four children in the house at the time. Um, but luckily they, they sort of clearly you just decided, need to get away. Yeah, that we're just going to go. So by now, um, the police are in pursuit. They know of the three dead. They've, they've found the two men in the van that were tied up both of them survived i think moan was actually a bit regretful of um attacking one of those because uh, he spoke about that afterwards and then obviously um yeah so obviously they're freed and they they've realized that they need to find these people these guys as quickly as possible because they're, they're on the rampage so the farmer reports the car theft as well so please start a pursuit of the car and they drive for miles and miles they go from the scottish border into the english border which i don't know the rules on that are you a scottish police allowed to pursue in england i think so because in some states aren't they in america if you go over the border don't they have to turn back because it's not their territory yeah but like they're in the united kingdom we are united by our kingdom (laughs) I reckon they probably can. Anyway, so this... It's not that big that you'd give a shit. Like, you can be there and back in a day. Yeah. So, so this continues and continues. And then eventually the the police chase finishes because a police car rams into the vehicle they're driving in. Uh, obviously, they radioed ahead and said, you know, anyone around um, were in this pursuit. And um, it's they nearly miss a car. And I think the two get out and luckily they don't have time to get into this other car that has been stopped by them because I think they were going to try and steal another car and keep going um but they're arrested so they're both sentenced and they both plead guilty and they're ordered life in prison they called it um your natural life but with the prerequisite of until you are no longer a danger so right if they are just decided that they're not a danger they'll go but unless that there's no 
sort of definite sentence. You'll just stay in a prison forever. Did they go to real prison? Uh, then they go to real prison. So they decided that they were sane, which is why it caused a lot of controversy because people said, well, why were they in the the hospital if now yeah. they're sane enough to commit this crime and then be tried? They basically, they Sorry. were insane, but people were just more angry with them this time. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So I told you we'd come back to the father and we do. So Robert Mooney Sr., the father was also known as Sonny. So I'm going to call him Sonny just so we can catch sort of the difference between the two this whole time that his son has been in prison he has been developing quite the criminal record getting into fights everyone fucking hates him he's a total bully very abusive obviously the mother left years ago he he got another wife as well abusive to her but he goes around town and he's bragging about these murders committed by his son. He thinks like he's proud of he's him. He's so proud of him. He thinks he is brilliant. And every conversation he has with someone, do you know who my son is? Oh, uh, do you think because he killed a policeman? Yeah, he thinks he's brilliant. Well, he thinks the first murders were brilliant anyway in the school. The first murder of the teacher. And then he thinks his rampage was even better. God. So he pledges in the, the pub where all good pledges are made. Um, that he was going to become more famous than his son. What? I know. So, 29th of December, 1978, Sonny goes to a flat, um, in like a block of flats, and he kills their 29-year-old Catherine Miller, who he used to go drinking with, and who had recently got married to, not to him, to someone else, uh, Jane Simpson, who's the o- owner of the flat, and Agnes Woff, W-A-U-G-H, a 70-year-old woman. He beat them, he strangled them, and then he laid their bodies out on the bed. Um, in fact, I think one was laid out on the bed and then two were put in armchairs and just left in the flat and then he went and went back to his normal life. So he's killed these three women. But we- he wants to be caught, though, if he wants to be more famous than his son. yeah. It was days before officers found them, but basically they found them because um, one of the women was reported missing and then they started looking as to where she could be and then they found them in this flat. And it turned out that Agnes was actually Sonny's aunt. So he's killed his aunt and these two other women. So he's taken in for questioning as someone who might be important. I think also the fact that he told everyone he wanted to commit loads of murders and he's told his wife, I'm going to be more famous than my son one day. And now your auntie's dead. Yeah. So he's sort of prime suspect. He said that he was at the flat and he'd been drinking with 29-year-old Catherine. But then he said that he left and that uh, he wasn't anything to do with the crimes. In fact, no, he didn't really say he wasn't anything to do with crimes. He just said that he left. He was questioned intensely over several days. Do you know how they sort of try and wear you down and keep questioning, asking the same questions, getting you to go over and over, picking holes in it? And he, he would never admit to the crimes, but he didn't deny them either. Right. So, I Just mean, like they said nothing. Yeah. So they were hesitant to arrest him because you've really got to have some sort of evidence. It's obvious it's him, but how are they going to prove it? So one crucial piece of evidence was um, on the victims from the, they'd been beaten first and then they'd been um, uh, suffocated. So there was the impression of a ring. Do you know, like those ugly, like big old... Oh, like a sovereign ring. Yeah. 
So there's impression of this ring on their faces. Signet ring. That's, that's it. Yeah. Uh, so officers knew if they could find that ring, then they could find the murderer. So the Highlanders gang. Yeah. <laughs> no, not quite. But nearly. They knew that Sonny used to wear a ring and was known for wearing a ring that had belonged to his son, that his son had used to have, but he wasn't allowed to take it into the prison with him. So he'd given it to his dad and said, well, you know, I'm never going to be out. You're going to have to have this. But when they searched his property, they couldn't find this ring anywhere. So they searched, um, you search his house, they searched people that he knew's house. So... They, they, they thought, well, we're going to have to arrest him anyway. We can't let this guy go free. So when they arrested him a few days later, he was actually wearing the same ring that oh. they'd been looking for this entire time. So he's wearing this ring. And what they did is they made a cast of the ring from the wounds on the victims and then compared it to the ring and it matched perfectly. So there you go, evidence. And then when they looked at the ring in a lot of detail, they found blood on the ring as well that oh. was belonging to the victims. So... They've got him. So he's given a life sentence with a minimum of 15 years. Um, and upon being sentenced in court, he shouted, do you mind backdating that? For what? What? I guess he want maybe like, so it says that he did it before his son. Oh, or like, like I'm the original. Or that, I don't know if Oh, backdating is in like, oh, so I've done my time already. Maybe. But it's like, it's, do you think you... It's like not the end of the sitcom. Like, do you think he just thought everyone would laugh? Then he also tried to kick a policeman on his way out. (laughs) Well, might as well (laughs) while you're at it. So in prison, Sonny continues to cause horror in the lives of people. So he was known in prison for being a homosexual, sexual predator. And uh, basically if young men would come in and be sentenced... Um, he would sort of prey on like the young naive men and and get them to do stuff for him and and, and offer to look after them. It's very Wentworth, isn't it? But three and a half years into his sentence, he's actually stabbed to death by another inmate. Put a stop to that. Yeah. So McCulloch, there. Going back to McCulloch and Maine, McCulloch trained as a counsellor and he worked with other inmates and he sort of became a bit of a model prisoner despite this horrific background and the horrible things he'd done to people. Just needed a bit of structure. <laughs> so he was put in like a lower security prison and he was then allowed trips into the community and then people started to realise who he was and they were not happy. Um, no. He even started a relationship with a woman and he was released in 2011... And he married this woman that he'd started a relationship with. Um, and locals protested him leaving, but he was still allowed to be released. So he's actually living oh. out in the community now. Uh, Robert Moan Jr., uh, he remains in prison. And he's actually had time added to his sentence for attacking another prisoner while in prison. So he's sort of of the moan stock, I guess, and hopefully probably won't get out because he's not reformed in any way. So, I mean, proof that violent runs in families aggression is inherited memes social learning theory don't know it's summer i don't want to learn <laughs> but that was interesting ready to pop the question 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Right, I'm going to tell you a little story now. Um, so, I was looking at some con men this week um, yeah because like one of my favorite stories is like um victor lustig the guy who sold the eiffel tower oh i've heard of that yeah and then um, there's a really good episode that the dollop did about it it was really good and i find him fascinating but turns out that at that time just everyone was at it like oh. selling really famous landmarks was a pretty standard con that loads of people did um so there's one person in particular that came up, this Arthur Ferguson. So another Scottish person. Um, not a lot known about him. Arthur Ferguson was a Scottish actor and he was born in Glasgow in 1883. And he made a living performing in a touring company and doing a variety of small roles. Um, and by 1923, he found himself in London. Now, it's thought that he had played the role of an American who conned people out of their money and this gave him his inspiration. <laughs> it's like when I used to watch a film when I was younger, um, for about a few three weeks after I'd be like, right, that's my personality now. Whereas he just went one further, he played the role and went, yeah, I'll do that. This'll be my life. So he were, Ferguson was in Trafalgar Square in London Centre when he came across a man who was looking at one of the monuments, Nelson's Column. Oh, where? So if, any, if anyone doesn't know, it's um, a huge granite column. It stands at about just over 51 metres tall. And then on the top is a little statue of 
Admiral Horatio Nelson. You say little and you're holding up your fingers as if it's like the size of a beanie baby. <laughs> well, because then I looked it up, the statue itself on top of the column is 5.5 metres tall, which is huge. But whenever I've seen it, because the column's so big, yeah, it looks, it looks shit. It like looks you like can't, size, you can barely it? see him. If you're underneath it, you can't see it. No. You have to be stood really far back and then there's buildings. You can't really see them. It's pointless. Lower that column. I'm not a fan of it, if I'm honest. It just looks like, like those bollards that rise up and down. Yes, that's a good idea. Because <laughs> honestly, it's mostly column. That's all it is. <laughs> Nelson's not getting much of a look in. It's quite underwhelming. But apparently at the time, this man was really admiring the column, having a look up. And Ferguson came, went up to the tourist, um, who t- turned out to be an American on holiday from Iowa, and he said that he was the official tour guide of Trafalgar Square. Now, Trafalgar Square is not huge. No. You don't need a tour guide for it. It will take, what, all of two minutes to be like, and we've done a 360, it's yeah. over. But he said he was the official tour guide. And he began feeding him some little truth nuggets about Admiral Nelson, um, told him how he was a great British naval hero. He fought against Napoleon. He lost an eye during battle and he was eventually shot and died during the Battle of Trafalgar, um, which I now know didn't happen in the square. <laughs> and the square was named after the Battle of Trafalgar, which is a different place. Because <laughs> I always wondered how did the boats get there? They didn't, obviously. Um, but there was a, that was a huge victory in the Napoleonic Wars and Nelson died. So that's what that monument is for. Now, Ferguson then went on alongside these little truth nuggets. He started feeding him a few porky pies as well. Oh, it's like that um, David Mitchell radio show. Have you heard that? No. They've got to sneak in the lies with the truth. Oh. You've got to buzz in. Should I buzz in every time I think it's a lie? Oh, you'll be doing it a lot. <laughs> so he then told the American that Unfortunately, England still hadn't recovered financially from World War One, and as a result, the monument was to be taken down and sold to help repay the national debt. And that's not too difficult to believe. A lot of European countries were struggling after World War One with the cost of war and everything. So the American man, who re- remains unnamed, probs due to embarrassment, was extremely interested in everything Ferguson had to say. And he even went so far as to admit that he wished he was able to purchase it and have it erected back in Iowa. <laughs> what are you going to do with that? Just show off, isn't it? I mean, especially in America, like that's like... Hell of a garden ornament, isn't They're it? They're building a lot of cool things. His, their history doesn't go back as far as England. Like, it's quite cool to have something super old. older than If you have something that's older than your country, yeah, that's yeah. quite cool, isn't it? Um, so he was thinking that it'd be amazing if I could have it and show off. Um, Ferguson said that the government were hoping to get £6,000 for the monument, which Reasonable. even in today's money is £300,000, which I thought was like, you can't really get a nice house for that. In some areas. Mm. But apparently you can get Nelson's column. So, so far, it's quite reasonable to think that he believed it, except that Ferguson then said that the government had also given him the tour guide, the responsibility of securing a buyer. (laughs) No, no. He's like, yeah, well, obviously it's my job to find someone. You're just a fucking tour guide. The government don't speak to tour guides in that way, (laughs) I don't think. It's not happening. So he then explained that 
there was a list of potential buyers and he was going to have to vet them because he oh, was, could so only ludicrous. he could only sell it to someone who was willing to keep quiet until the entire deal had been oh completed and of course someone who would ensure it was going to be shown its proper dignity and respect in its new home um so the American was still keen to purchase and hoped that he could be considered top of the list because he had the money available. He could give it him right now. Um, so I just think there must be something in this column that other people see that I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't even want it for free. Well, apparently, um, so I learned a bit more about the column if you're interested. Um, Sar- I'm not, I'm really not. Oh, tough. Sar <laughs> Nicholas I actually paid a quarter of the building cost like he donated large amounts of money towards the building of Nelson's column because he was like yeah this is amazing and um later after this story but Hitler had a plan that once they invaded England he wanted to take Nelson's column back and put it in Berlin like that was one of his steps <laughs> have it to do. take it sure. not bothered um so by the end of it it said that the man was practically begging to be allowed to buy this to buy Nelson's column <laughs> So Ferguson said that he thought was the man was a worthy owner of the monument and that he would go and ring his superiors immediately to let them know and ask for the go-ahead. So he just basically left the American to wait where he was. Ferguson nipped off. He probably just went for a fag behind the National Portrait Gallery and then returned after a few minutes with the good news. <laughs> So he explained that the government would be happy to make the sale if he would be willing to pay as soon as possible. I mean, this guy's clearly never been to London before. Because yeah. it is full of people trying to make a buck, aren't it? Is it? Oh, I definitely. Think, I think a few years ago, maybe not so much now, there were always like these sort of street games where you had to sort of work out where the ball was under the cups and you know, all those dodgy street games. And also like... Oh, well, like, you mean like, like all the street performers? No, like the, the non-legit ones that are trying to oh. like, get you to bet on stuff in the street. Oh. I remember my dad was always like really wary of them. He went past one um, and they try and hook you in because he went past this one table and he was like, well, clearly it's under this part. And there's this guy going, I don't know where it is. Obviously he was in on it. Um, oh, I couldn't possibly tell you which one had the ball under it. And my dad went, well, it's that one, obviously. And the guy was like, oh, right, well, you've won some money, you've won some money. I've just got to see that you've got money yourself so that you can bet on the next game. And I was going, go on, dad, show him your wallet. <laughs> like, oh, God. stupid kid. My dad was like, no, no, I don't want to show him my wallet. And I was like, no, he's going to give you money. Just show him your wallet. Like, I'm so naive. And show him where you keep it. Yeah, yeah. So clearly there was loads of stuff. hustling. Like, Rolexes and all that shit, wasn't yeah. it? Well, the American man wasn't as bothered about showing his wallet and he just whipped out his checkbook and literally wrote out a check made payable to Ferguson. Like, literally, I'm going to buy Nelson's column from the tour guide. He put the tour guide's name <laughs> on the check. Here that you go. That is so dumb. Um, he wasn't an idiot, Luce. He got oh, a receipt. Sorry, I'm victim blaming. He, he got a receipt. He had the evidence of his irresponsibility. <laughs> That's why I just refuse. I on a, if I'm on a night out, I'm always like, I don't need to remember this. Like, don't give, <laughs> don't give me a receipt. All it's going to do is make me feel shame. Yeah. Like, I mean, at least with a check, you can trace where the money's going. Yeah, a little bit. Like so Ferguson even went the extra mile and then gave him the name and telephone number of a demolition company who would be able to take down Nelson's column and rebuild it for him back in Iowa. And after this, they just like this all happened in the space of time while they were stood in in the square. They just shook hands and went. 
done. £6,000 richer. So now the proud owner of Nelson's column phoned the building company to get a quote for the removal and shipping of the monument to America. And he was listened to because the company just thought they were helping him with a hypothetical scenario. Oh, how much would it cost if I wanted to do this? And then they were like, well, why do you want to know? And obviously he said, well, I've just bought it and I want to take it. And the contractors were like, that is no way possible not likely whatsoever it seems like someone's taken you for a ride so uh, confused and i love how they were gonna give a quote though i can't get anyone to quote for shit this is a little fun game (laughs) um so he was confused and he didn't obviously have any contacts for anyone in government because he'd only spoken to the tour guide so the american rang scotland yard and they confirmed that yeah you've definitely been conned by ferguson so they took a description and they started an inquiry, but Ferguson and the money were just long gone. And to be honest, I was thinking, I don't think I'd have really tried my hardest to solve that one. If a tourist has come, say, oh, I bought this famous landmark, you just think, oh. Yeah, well done. I mean, this is a little bit Robin Hood-esque. If you've got more money than yeah. sense, you're kind of like, I don't know that they would have busted their balls. I'm sure they looked into it a yeah. bit, but I don't think they would have lost sleep over it. Mm-mm. Um. So Arthur Ferguson now realised he had a winning formula for conning the rich and gullible out of their money and he attempted such schemes several times. He apparently sold the Houses of Parliament clock tower. So obviously not Big Ben because that's the bell, not the clock. But <laughs> So he sold the Big Ben, the clock tower, um, to another American for How one... How did they think they were going to get that home? Yeah, we're know. <laughs> but what do you think the House of Parliament is going to look like without it? <laughs> yeah. So he sold that for a thousand pounds and then he Bargain. got another person to put a two thousand pound deposit down to purchase Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Without a look round. Yeah, well, this is the only real he realised he was being conned because he tried to go in and security stopped him, mm. apparently. He even imitated Victor Lustig further by going to Paris and selling the Eiffel Tower. Though he tried to make it more convincing. He claimed that the tower was unsafe and it was having to be taken down because it was only temporary for the nineteen uh, for the 1889 World Exhibition. Like the Millennium so, Dome. Yeah, so they therefore he was like, well, we're taking it down. I'll sell you all the pieces at scrap metal price. <laughs> so it's not going to be extortionate. But 1925, um, however, Ferguson decided to leave England where he's at risk of being found out and arrested. And head to where all of his favourite people now lived in America. (laughs) His first big con in America was using the most recognisable house in the world, the White House. And Ferguson targeted a wealthy cattle rancher from Texas and explained that the government had a plan which would increase their government funds without um, having to raise taxes. It wouldn't involve selling off any of their monuments and assets and which he'd usually said in England. So this time he said the government were hoping to find someone to rent the White House for £100,000 a year, but the first year had to be paid in advance. I mean, it would be a good TV show, wouldn't it? Just watching him do these cons. I wonder if you could do it now. Yeah. But people wouldn't just hand over that amount of money. You'd have lawyers and people check it out and you wouldn't just random man who approached you in the street. Yeah. Um, so this guy handed over a check and Ferguson once again successfully disappeared. Now, his string of scams would eventually come to an end when he had the misfortune of choosing an Australian gentleman as his next victim. 
So whilst in Manhattan, Ferguson encountered a man who was over from Sydney on business. And whilst in the vicinity of the New York Harbour, Ferguson explained that the government had big plans for expanding and developing the area. And as part of the plan, the Statue of Liberty would have to be removed to make the harbour entrance wide enough to support the increase of traffic the new harbour could expect. Then he went on to explain that a bigger and better monument was going to take the place of the statue, so they were going to sell this one off, and whoever could come up with the £100,000 deposit fastest was going to get it. (laughs) Problem is now, you could do a quick Google, couldn't you? Yeah, it's not a thing. True. So the Australian businessmen very much wanted to be able to take the Statue of Liberty and have it displayed in Sydney's own harbour. So Ferguson reprised his role as the official tour guide. He took the Australian on a tour of the statue and he even posed with him for a photograph underneath the statue that was taken by another tourist passing by. Exactly. So the Australian guy wasn't able to actually raise the funds needed as quickly as Ferguson would have liked. So he was worried that he was going to tell someone about the sale and Ferguson had to keep hanging out with him, stick close by him so he didn't tell anyone. And then this started to freak out the Australian a bit. Plus, his when he was trying to ring his bank to get these funds over, they were getting a bit suspicious. So the businessman went to the police with his concern that he was being scammed. So now, and they obviously told him, yes, he was. So now, not only did Ferguson not have this money, he now no longer had his anonymity because he'd had this photograph taken and they could easily identify the man they were seeking. So the Australian took the police straight to Ferguson and said, this is the guy, and had him arrested. He was sentenced for five years. And then when he left prison, he was still able to live off the money he'd scammed until he died. So he got to keep the money? Apparently, 1938. Now, I feel a little bit shit because... You said all Americans were stupid. No, because that story's so cool. Looked it up, but... This was from a book called Fakes and Forgeries by Dr. Brian Innes, mentioned in there. Then read a second one called The Man Who Sold Nelson's Column by Dane Love. Now, Dane Love, at the end of the chapter on Arthur Ferguson, says that he's quite disappointed because turns out, there's not all a dream. There's not a lot of evidence that Arthur Ferguson is real. This story oh. about him doing all of this stuff, the earliest recorded um, thing of it came about in the 1960s. So there's no written records of him and his sentencing or his sales or anything pre-1960 when it was supposed to happen. Um, I'd really like to believe it was true. And I was a little bit like, well, whenever I've looked him up on the internet, there's like a little photograph, a little picture that comes with it. So I used my catfish skills. Yes. And I did a reverse image search of the picture that kept coming up for Arthur Ferguson. And it turned out that the picture that people keep using is actually a picture of a man called George C. Parker, who was an American con man who sold the Brooklyn Bridge to people. So that was quite disappointing. But then I thought, well, he's not the only UK person to be doing this kind of thing, the stories of. So I went for, I'm just going to briefly tell you about another man who definitely was real. It's like a bonus. Yeah, a little bonus Bonus one. for your summer. Want to keep you going. So um, this is a man called Stanley Lowe. 
And he was he was definitely a real person. Reverse image search his pictures and everything. I feel I feel as disappointed as Dane Love did. If I'm going to read your book on this guy and you're not going to tell me till the end, I'm going to I'm going to make it a podcast and not tell people till the end. Um, but Stanley Lowe was a man who was a British man who was born in 19, around 1923, and Stanley had a difficult childhood. His dad was killed, and then his mother took her own life uh, by poisoning, and this all happened by the time he was 12. So Stanley was then sent to live in an orphanage. But by the age of 14, he said that he was hanging around London's East End, getting in with, quote, a crowd of tea leaves. And, <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. We, tea leaves. Saying that they used to do all the fiddles and I got nicked. <laughs> so in his later years, he actually spoke passionately at various events. He even spoke at Oxford University and things about prison reform and how... He said that a few years inside, he talked about his childhood, basically going to prison meant that he was on a path for criminality then yeah. from that point. He's said this quote, that um, years inside can give you, quote, a far more expensive education in crime than undergraduates at Oxford do for their degrees. And he just was totally against that happening to young people. Yeah, I mean, like, he was vulnerable from the offset, wasn't he? Because he lost both his parents. So I guess it's easy to be manipulated or to need to turn to crime. And then once you're in prison, you're surrounded by it. Yeah. So he basically had this perfect training for the life of a con man. Yeah. And so 1938, he did what most good con men do and went to live in America. And he, it was then when he went there, he met a con man called The Doc. Now, this guy is probably Doc Merriweather, who's another guy who tried to sell the Brooklyn Bridge, an American guy. Um, so the story goes that the doc had met him. They met in a bar and the doc tried to sell him a, the Brooklyn Bridge. But Lowe, who's a bit more savvy, tried to sell him Times Square. <laughs> and in the end, they both just had a little lull at, oh, look at us. Yeah. <laughs> what a pair we are. And became friends. That's hilarious. So Lowe was eventually deported from America after being sentenced for forging nearly $5,000 worth of forging notes. Um, but he learned a lot. He was like a protege of Doc. And then shortly after World War II, Lowe went to Paris, where he found a wealthy American target and sold him the scrap metal for the Eiffel Tower for £40,000. So many people are buying monuments. It's yeah. insane. Like, this is now 1930s, 1920s. So for like 30, 40 years, people were just really desperate to buy big things with no guarantees we're up in edinburgh shall we just try and sell off some of the statues yeah <laughs> give me so he also bragged in later life that he lied to another american saying he was in the film industry and that he sold the champs Elysees for 2500 pounds with nothing on paper such small prices as well the whole people are stupid i mean it's wrong that they're doing it but it's like but i can't be mad at it why are you falling for it i can't be mad I'm sorry. Yeah, you're that naive with nothing on paper. A... Like they're not showing you pictures. <laughs> yeah. They're not giving. They're not forging documents. It's literally a man talking to you, yeah. and you're handing over money. So he was in and out of prison because he didn't just sell monuments. He obviously did other forgery. He was thieving as well, and it's said that he spent a total of 14 years of his life behind bars by the time he was in his early 40s. So some of the other scams that have been accredited to Stanley Lowe were that he dressed up as a clergyman and um, stood out around St. Paul's Cathedral and said 
they, they needed donations to um, restore it. And apparently he got £100,000 from a Japanese tourist in one go for Fuck. that. I mean, that's just lucky bagging, isn't it? Yeah. Um, he was blagging investors for a war movie he wanted to make by posing as a Hollywood producer, calling himself Mark Sheridan and saying that he'd won Oscars and stuff and getting people to invest in his new film. And then it didn't happen. I think that still happens today, to be honest. Yeah, crowdfunding. Um, he told people that he was a former RAF pilot and now was on a secret mission working for the British government and like, oh, I need money to help me get here, there and everywhere. Just, <laughs> Just don't tell anyone, though. No. Yeah. Keep it quiet. And then this one, Dr. Brian Innes says in his book, um, but... I couldn't find anything about it. I would have thought it would be big news, but then maybe it's a little bit hush. It's Dr. Brennan says that he he was hired as a footman in Marlborough House, which is one of the houses that belongs to the royal family, where um, the Dowager Queen Mary was living at the time. And it said that he his plan was that he would work there as a footman and steal jewels while he worked there, but that he was fired. So I think maybe it wasn't news because he didn't steal anything. He had a job there, but he was fired because he turned up for work in a Jaguar that he had stolen from someone else. <laughs> so they were like, this just isn't... Yeah, why has the footman got a fucking Jaguar? Yeah. Like, um, but he eventually... Can you fire someone for that? I think cause he's, if, he's got, if he's stolen something and the police are investigating you. Yeah, I mean, it'd be clearly stolen, wouldn't it? Yeah. So he eventually found himself in prison for the final time on a charge of forging traveller's checks. So he was just up to all sorts. But Stanley Lowe, like I said, he did speak later in life and talk about prison form. He was determined to go straight and he greatly credited at the time, the exp- what was at the time, sorry, experimental. It was a rehabilitation scheme at Wandsworth Prison that helped him do it where they would be able to go into the community at weekends and work and do jobs and they didn't lock them in their cells at night and stuff and he said that that extra responsibility made him feel more worth it that he had worth and that he could do something else and one of the most famous images of stanley Lowe the uh, today is one of him outside wandsworth prison um, with a bunch of flowers that he's waiting to give the governor of the prison to thank him for helping him there's a second picture that I found really interesting. It's like a press photo from a newspaper where um, Stanley Lowe stood in a bar with another bunch of flowers on, drinking alone. And basically what he did was he sent gilt-edged invitations to all the people that he'd scammed no. and invited them. To, but he, I think it was, I think it was nice. He invited them to come and meet him so that he could apologize, um, to try and forgive him. But did he get the money back? But no, but nobody <laughs> showed up anyway. So he, this Aww. picture is of him drinking alone in this hotel bar because he'd invited everyone to come and apologize, and nobody did. I mean, would you want to? Probs not. It's embarrassing to admit, isn't it? And he's like you say, he's not giving the money back. He's just saying, yeah. "Oops, sorry." Um, I don't think he had a particularly successful life after that. I think he ended things quite quietly and quite. Um, don't we all meager? But another interesting one. I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting about the whole prison reform. It's shit like that, that when there's not enough money, it's cut, 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 isn't it? But we'll do the bare minimum, we'll lock them away, but we haven't got the money for for anything else. I just think it's sad that... Well, I used to work somewhere where we used to have um, some criminals running the cafe at the weekend. Yeah, at my grandma's church, they used to have... um, 
prisoners come and cut the grass in the graveyard. And then I, for a long time, thought that anyone riding a sit-down lawnmower was a prisoner on work release. <laughs> well, that's the only people I thought did it. I was like, oh, look, there's a prisoner. Mum's like, why are you saying that? Because <laughs> they're cutting the grass. <laughs> uh, so thanks for listening. Um, while we're away, uh, we probably will be putting the odd bit on Patreon. So uh, do continue to support us on that. And I'm going to get mum to put up a, a mother-daughter slaughter probably this week um so we'll have that up soon and um have a nice holiday if you're going somewhere yeah we're just off for summer break we'll be back in september back to school back to work back to everything back to podcasting yeah back to crime so why not go back and listen to some of our vintage episodes (laughs) and relive the joy yeah do that um and keep tweeting us yeah sign up to our patreon too and then there's content on there that can keep you busy for a while keep talking on facebook keep engaging don't disappear we'll be on social media um but yeah thanks for listening we really really appreciate all your support and uh we'll catch up with you in a few weeks thanks for another great year and remember listening to slaughter doesn't make you a psycho moving to yorkshire and being sad about it does even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.